Well, good morning. It is good to be here as we continue our man-to-man series. And before we get there, man, what an amazing testimony by Rachel. And just that beautiful picture of her husband baptizing her. I mean, oh man, so thrilling. You want to, yeah, let's give her a hand. It was... We love to see the story of life change here at Crossroads Church, and uh, one of the things that we tell people oftentimes when they're sharing their story is not only are you sharing your story to give a testimony of your uh, salvation experience or your belief in Jesus, but also as you share your story, you're encouraging others, that there's other people out in the congregation who have similar stories to you. And as I listened to Rachel share her story, I was reminded of my own. Uh, I grew up in a family uh, where my sister was sick most of my childhood with cancer, and as she shared kind of the ups and downs of of remission and uh, just the struggles of cancer and family, uh, all of that was just reminded of me, and I'm just grateful for God's goodness through that time in my life and continuing uh, even today. That here at Crossroads Church, we believe that baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality, that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, that he comes in and he, uh, he transforms us from the inside out. He cleans our hearts and our souls in the same way that this water would uh, clean our bodies, and so it's this beautiful picture of what God is doing uh, in our lives. And so if you have uh, not been baptized and you are a believer, I would encourage you to take that step of faith or at least to figure out uh, what it looks like for you in your life. And so we have somebody on staff here. His name is Doug. And Doug walks everybody through the baptism process here at Crossroads Church uh, so that you know what's going on and know how to go about doing that. And so if you want to get baptized, we make it pretty simple here. Uh, You can simply text the word NEXT uh, to our text line, which is 720-513-1. And from there, we'll get you connected and on the road uh, to baptism if that's what you uh, have in mind and would like to do, all right? Well, with that said, I want to welcome those of you joining us uh, online at Facebook, YouTube. You can go ahead and like us. Let us know you're there as well as Crossroads Live. You can send us a heart. I want to say hello to Fort Lupton and, of course, all of you here uh, at Thornton, uh, our Thornton location. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here, and we are, like you saw in that video, in the middle of a series, week three of a series that we're calling Man to Man, where we're specifically taking uh, these five weeks to really craft a vision of what manhood can be. Because the reality is in our culture, in this day and age, it is hard to be a man, isn't it? It is just difficult to be a man. And that for many men, there's a crisis of identity that's happening that is so deep that it goes to the very depths of our soul. And the failure of men to really live out a vision of masculinity has brought and wreaked chaos and havoc at every level of society. And so we stand back and we look and we say, who is the men? Who are the men? Where are all the men? And while we can maybe point to exceptions in our life and point to people who we admire who are men, The reality is, is that as we look at the ills of society, as we look at the downfall of what's happening in our culture, that much of it can be tied to the absence of guys living out a clear understanding of what it means to be a man. And if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, then you know that this is personal for me, uh, that I'm raising two boys of my own. And so about 10 years ago, influenced by a guy named Robert Lewis, I determined that I was going to come up with a vision of manhood that not only I could challenge myself to live to, but that I could also teach my boys. 
And so out of that, being influenced by Robert Lewis, I determined really that when it comes to being a real man, it revolved around five values. And we've looked at these values and are looking at these values over these five weeks. And so if you were here week one, we looked at the first value, which is to reject passivity, that a real man rejects passivity. The truth is, is that men of every age become passive when it comes to initiating in the home, in the families, in communities, in the church, at the world at large. And as we saw in week one, a real man does not just simply step back, but actually steps up. That a real man doesn't shrink back passively, but steps up actively into the world that he's called to live in. So week two, we looked at the second value, which is a real man accepts responsibility. And when it comes to accepting responsibility, every man has three responsibilities. First and foremost, to himself. Secondly, to his family. And then third, to the work that he has to do. And that when we look at these three priorities, the way in which we order them and the way in which we live them out says a lot about our understanding as men. Week three today, we're looking at the third value, which is to lead courageously. The next week, we'll talk about living wisely, and then we'll wrap this up week five with living for the greater reward. That's the vision, these five values. Now, if you're new with us, or or maybe this is your first time to Crossroads, just know that this vision didn't just appear out of anywhere. That like with most things in life that are significant or are meaningful, that when we open the pages of scripture, uh, it gives us understanding and clarity for what we're looking for. And so when we open up the scriptures looking for a definition of masculinity or trying to understand what it means to be a real man, what we find is that the, the scriptures present us two versions, two archetypes of masculinity. One in Adam at the beginning of the Old Testament and one in Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. And through these two versions of masculinity, these two archetypes, we see two very different ways to live and ultimately two very, des- uh, two very different destinies in terms of the way that we lived our lives out. And when we slow down to compare the lives of Adam and Jesus together, that we come up with a pretty clear picture of what it means to be a man to live out true masculinity. And so today, as we jump into this, we're going to look at the third value that a real man leads courageously. Now listen, when we get into this subject, know that every single man is called to lead. That every single man is called to lead. That you were created to lead. That as we look upon the creation account and open up the very first pages of Scripture, in fact, the very first page of Scripture, we have creation being, being brought into existence, and God says these words to Adam. He says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion, let them have leadership, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Next slide. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. If you know the story, God is making something out of nothing. And for five days, he makes this creation in which we uh, are able to experience in our lives now. And as he's making this, and as he heads into day six, he creates the crown of creation, which is humanity. And as he creates humanity, he says to humanity, and specifically to the man, that I'm going to give you dominion, leadership to rule. That all of this that I've made in the world, I'm, <coughs> I'm now giving to you, created in, your, in my likeness, created in my image. I'm giving it to you to rule, to have dominion, to lead. 
And so we turn the page to Genesis chapter 2, page 2 of the Bible. And we see that Adam exercises this authority, this, this dominion, this ruler, this leadership in the naming of the animals. Then maybe you've sat back and you've read Genesis chapter 2 and you're like, what's this deal about, about Adam naming all the animals? It was to demonstrate to us that it is indeed Adam who has authority over all of the creation. And yet, as we see this demonstrated, we read through the rest of the scriptures and we get into the New Testament and we see where the Apostle Paul picks up this idea of authority in the life of a man and how he applies it to the family. And as we read through scripture after scripture, we see that men are created to lead, that we are to lead. And if you know the story of the creation accounts, we assume that Adam does this leadership well, at least for a little while at least for a little while. But then something happens in the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And in a single moment, we see Adam's heart begin to turn in the garden where he refuses, where he refuses to step forward and to lead his family, specifically his wife. If you know the story, and you probably do, whether you've been in church a long time or never before, it's a pretty famous story. But Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and, and they're just hanging out, and one day the serpent comes slithering into the garden. And he looks at Adam and Eve, and he says to them, basically, why is it that you need this God? Why do you need God? Don't you know that you can become your own God? Don't you know that you can be your own God, that you can have the title, you can have the prestige, you can have the glory, you can have whatever you want. And in that moment, the temptation is too great for Adam. He takes the fruit, the forbidden fruit from his wife, bites into it, and in that moment, the heart of the serpent's model of leadership is born. And in this tragic moment, the creation that Adam was called to lead is all of a sudden in rebellion against him. It's in rebellion against its leader. Listen, from the very beginning, for most of us, before we can even remember, we have been indoctrinated with the serpent's model of leadership. At every turn, the belief from the world is that the leader, to be the leader means to get the glory. It's a form of recognition, a kind of accomplishment, a path to privilege, a form of success that once you arrive as the leader, you can do whatever you dream. You can do whatever you want. You can be the God of your own world. You are the leader. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen this leadership play out in our own lives, we've seen this leadership played out in the world time and time again. We even, as we open the pages of scripture, we see this type of leadership played out in characters like Abraham, Samson, the Pharisees, the kings of Israel, men who wanted the title, who wanted the prestige, who wanted the glory, who wanted to be the leader so that they could do what they wanted for themselves. And maybe what's most striking as we open the pages of Scripture is we see that the guys who are closest to Jesus, the guys who are closest to Jesus are not, uh, are, are not moved away from this, that we see the residence of, of Adam in their life, that the 12 that, that Jesus handpicks, the 12 guys that Jesus handpicks, that you can see this model of leadership in their lives. 
And as we open our story in Mark chapter 9 today, I just want you to know that I love how the Bible doesn't like just gloss over this. How the Bible doesn't just paint these guys as these perfect individuals, but actually is willing to be open and honest and show us their flaws as if to say, men, this is the heart of leadership that you're going to struggle with your entire lives. This is where your struggle's going to be. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, we pick up the story where we meet a dad whose boy is sick. The boy is unable to speak. In fact, some would say that he's even possessed by a demon. And one day Jesus comes walking through the town, and the father thinks, this is my one chance. This is the chance for, for me to get my son healed. He's tried everything at this point, and he, he runs up to Jesus, pleading with Jesus to heal his son. I mean, this man, he's heard the stories. He's heard how Jesus feeds the thousands, how he healed the cripple, how he stopped the bleeding of the woman who bled for years, that if there was one chance to save his boy, this is the chance. He brings his boy to Jesus, and he says, look, Jesus, please heal my son. I've done everything that I can. I've even taken him to your disciples, and they couldn't do it. Jesus takes the boy. He begins to pray over the boy, and the remarkable happens. The boy is healed. As Jesus is in the center square with the boy and the dad and the crowds pushing around him, the disciples are looking at themselves, and they look at Jesus, and they go, Jesus, why, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we heal the boy? We don't understand your leadership. Jesus takes his disciples in this moment, and he leads them away from the crowds, and he begins to have a conversation with him where he's literally choking back the tears. And he says to his disciples, there's a lot of things that are going to happen there's a lot of things that are going to happen that you're not going to understand, that you're not going to comprehend. And maybe the thing that you're not going to comprehend most is that we got to go to Jerusalem. And as Jesus says those words, the hair on the back of the disciples stands on end. No one had to say it. Everybody knew it, that Jerusalem was the epicenter of those who wanted to kill Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, we're going to march in through the front gates. And then I'm going to lay my life down to be mocked, to be beaten, and to ultimately die. Now, this was not the picture of the Messiah that the disciples had. This was not the picture of the Christ that the disciples had been taught growing up as good Jewish boys. That This was not the leader that they thought that they were following. They start to walk, and for a little bit, I imagine that no one said a word over those first few miles. But then the conversation started in the back. Eventually, they make it to the town in which they're heading, to the town of Capernaum. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? When we were on the road, what was it that you were talking about in the back? And I love this. The Bible totally covers for them because look what it says. They all kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And there it is. In those closest to Jesus, the heart of the serpent's model of leadership on display. The constant flow of of when's this going to become about me? When's this going to become about Matt? When do I get mine? When do I get the title? When do I get the prestige? When do I get the glory? When do I get to be called the greatest? And listen, men, as we walk through this today, I need you to hear this, that there is nothing wrong with desire. 
There is nothing wrong with desire, but we need to be reminded of whose kingdom this really is. Because there is a tendency within all of us, even those who walk most closely with Jesus, to go, what about me? Do you think I'm the best? Who do you think's the greatest here? Hey, Peter, have you, have you ever thought about it? Who's number one through 12 among us? Like, who's, who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest of the disciples? Verse 35, and Jesus sat down, and he called the 12 to him, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he takes a child, he put him in the midst of them, and talking and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, just me, but him who sent me. And Jesus looks at his disciples in this moment, and he says, boys, you got to understand, it's not about greatness. That leadership is about having the courage to serve others, to sacrifice, to give the glory away. Do you get it? And John goes, yeah, Jesus, we get it. Teach, we were on the way up here, and I caught a guy doing miracles in your name. And I told him to knock it off. We didn't need a 13 around here. We get it, Jesus. And so over the next chapter, Jesus will patiently explain to them about the kingdom of God and what leadership really looks like. And through it all, we see the depth of the heart of Satan's model of leadership, even in the guys who are closest to Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, we have this scene as, again, the disciples and Jesus are walking just, just a few days later. They're walking to another town, and as they walk, John and his brother James goes, hey, Jesus, can we talk to you for a minute? Hey, boys, give us, give us a moment. Just stay over there. Jesus, come over here. And they get Jesus kind of cornered off from the other 10, and here's what they say to him in chapter 10, verse 35. They said, teacher, here's what we need you to do. We want you to do whatever we ask. Like, Jay, promise right now, do whatever I say. Just promise right now. Whatever it is that I want, you just make it happen. And Jesus is like, what's going on here? Why are your gears turning, man? What are you guys cooking up? And they go, here's what we're thinking, Jesus, verse 37. When all this is done, when, when you're where you're supposed to be, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus, make us a promise that when all this is like, when you're where you're supposed to do, make me number one and my brother number two, or my brother number one and me number two. Either way, we're good. One or two. And Jesus goes, is that what this is still all about? Like, you don't even get what you're asking for. You don't even know what you're asking. Then verse 41, the other turn, 10 heard it. And they began to be indigent, uh, indignant at James and John. You better believe they were, because just down the road, they were arguing 1 through 12. Now it's 3 through 10, right? 3 through 12. Like, where are we at in this, boys? They're angry at, at James and John. And James and John are like, number one, number two, Jesus. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. He goes, come on, boys. You know those who lead, who are considered leaders of the Gentiles. You've seen this. They lord over people. And their great ones 
The great leaders, they exercise authority over them. Jesus says, you know what this looks like. You've experienced this in your own life. You know what it looks like when it comes to the world's type of leadership, the serpent model of leadership. You've experienced this in your life. People get a position of leadership, a position of power, and they lord over other people, that those people become servants to them. It's all about them. And the disciples are like, yes, that's what we want. And I think Jesus, with all the patience of heaven, looks at them in verse 33 and says this, but not so among you. Not so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men, according to Jesus, the very essence and real heart of leadership is taking initiative where we otherwise might not. And it's a willingness to sacrifice where we otherwise might not in order that we might be able to guide our family and our friends, and our communities, and our churches, and those we work with, and our businesses, that we would be able to guide them into places of good that they otherwise would not go. It's why we need courage. Because Jesus says that to be a leader means that we embrace personal difficulties for long-term gain. That we embrace that life's greatest joys come not in private comfort and ease, but in choosing the uncomfortable, what is uncomfortable and hard for the sake of others' joy. It means to embrace a a model of leadership where we don't attend to ourselves, but in toughness attend to others. That's what the real heart of leadership is. And men, that's what you're called to be. At every moment of your life, serving those who have nothing to offer you in this world, But because they sat with you, they gained everything, that they've gained everything. It's that conversation that you've been putting off with a child. It's fighting for your wife's highest good. It's coming alongside a coworker so that they can get the accolades, not you. It's serving your neighbor for no other reason than that they are your neighbor. It's taking a friend out to lunch just to get to know them better. It's what we see in Jesus' life and in his leadership time and time again, eating with tax collectors, hanging out with lepers, caring for prostitutes, healing boys that he had never, ever met before. Time and time again, we see Jesus investing in people who he had nothing to gain. He had nothing to gain. Eventually, Jesus and the boys make it to Jerusalem. And they marched through the front gates just like Jesus said that they would. And it's in this story that we see the humanity of Jesus. That most of the time when we read through the Gospels, we we see the divinity on display for Jesus. We see him healing. We see him doing miracles. We see him doing, doing great things like feeding thousands of people. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see his humanity. He marches into Jerusalem. Him and the guys, they have dinner. We call it the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, Judas, in the midst of that, takes off, 
cementing his place as number 12. And then Jesus and the other 11, they head, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus begins to pray. And Jesus knows what's before him. He knows that the cross is before him. And as he considers all of that, his prayer reveals where he's at in his heart. He doesn't want to die. The sacrifice is too much. The cross is too much. It's too big of a ransom for the many. And so we find Jesus on his knees throughout the night praying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Three times through the course of the night, he comes back and he prays that prayer. Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, make it be. I don't want to die. Until he courageously stands and declares, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. God, not my will, but yours be done. I'll serve. I'll endure the cross. I'll become the ransom for many so that they might have life. See, this type of leadership has to be courageous. A man who refuses to move until he has no fear will never move and consequently will never lead. This summer, my family and I, we went on kind of like a Colorado excursion for a few days. We started with backpacking and then we went to whitewater rafting and then just for good measure, we ended in one of the hot springs. And uh, while my wife and I have gone backpacking uh, multiple times through our life, this was like the first time that we've taken the kids. This was like our first family backpacking trip. That was going to be night one was backpacking. And so I kind of like Clark W. Griswold it, right? Like I wanted it to be like the best experience in the world, uh, best vacation in the world. And so uh, I decided that we would go to the Rich Creek Loop. It's just outside of Fair Play. It's a trail that I've done a dozen times. It's beautiful. You kind of cross a creek a couple of times. You hike up the side of the mountain and it opens up into this beautiful meadow where that creek runs through the meadow. There's rolling hills. The campsite's on top of one of those hills. And in the morning when you wake up, the dew is just hanging in the valley. And it's one of the most beautiful scenes that you'll ever see in your entire life. So we get to the trailhead about 2.30 in the afternoon. We put on our backpacks. We lather up in sunscreen and bug spray. And we take off and we hike in. And for the first 90 minutes or so, it's great. I mean, we're moving in. My kids are taking turns leading. We're talking. We're laughing. We're hiking up the mountain. All is good. And then all of a sudden as we're walking, I kind of started to notice that we're not actually on a trail anymore. We're just kind of wandering through the woods. Like the trail disappeared somewhere like 20 minutes ago. And so we're just kind of walking through the woods, and we run into these guys who were in the military, and they're like, hey, have you seen the trail? <laughs> it's like, nope. And they're like, well, man, I think we lost it somewhere around here. I was like, yeah, I think we lost it like 20 minutes ago. I think like with COVID, like it's not being taken care of. I said, but I've done this like a dozen times. I was like, eventually you cross over the creek, you follow it up the mountain, it goes into this beautiful meadow. Uh, just keep going up, you'll make it. And so they kind of take off on their way, and I continue to lead my family up the mountainside. And and we get into this place that has some pretty dense forest. On the right side is this like huge cliff and the storm clouds are moving in. Like we're gonna get rained on. And here I am up on this mountain. I think to myself, man, I have led my family. We are completely lost and we're gonna get rained on. Now for me, this is like adventure. But for one of my kids, this is a disaster. And he's like moving into freak out mode. And he's thinking to himself, like, where has dad led us? Like, we don't know where we're at. We're totally lost. We're in the middle of this forest. The storm's coming in. We're going to get rained on. There's bears. We're going to die. Like, he's moving into freak out mode pretty quick. 
And to be honest, I was a little bit fearful because none of what he was saying was untrue. Like, we had been lost for a good hour, right? Like, the storms were moving in, and there was bears. There was a legit possibility that we might never come out of the mountains again, right? We might die. And so I look at my son, and I tell him, I said, calm down, calm down. I said, just listen for a moment. What do you hear? And he said, well, I hear water. And I go, yeah, you, you hear a stream. I go, where does that stream go? He goes, how do I know? We're just going to die. And I go, no, no, no. Where's the stream lead? He goes, I don't know. And I said, when we drove up to the trailhead, I said, we parked our car. Where did we park our car? He said, by the stream. I said, yeah. As long as we can hear or see the stream, the stream will guide us home. That we don't have to have fear because the stream will get us home. Jesus, talking to his disciples in the Gospel of John, says these words, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Men, in those moments of fear, when you're not sure that you have what it takes, when you're looking out at life and you're not sure that you have the courage to lead, remember that the stream will lead you home, that Jesus will lead you home. And if you know how to get home, then you can courageously face whatever this world throws at us, no matter what it is, no matter what circumstance, you can lead courageously. Because your family needs you to lead, and your communities, they need you to lead, and your church, we need you to lead, and this world needs you to lead. And as men, as men, you will be called upon to go first and to step out. And in doing so, that you will give the gift of courage to those who are watching you. And depending on who's watching you, this one act of courage may change the entire momentum of their life. That as you lead, as you live out your calling in this life, you may feel a little fearful. You may feel like you were wandering lost in the woods. And after these last 18 months, who could blame you? We've all been there in the uncertainty, in the unknown, trying to just do whatever next step we think's best. There will be fear in those moments. But Jesus says that if you can hear, if you can see the stream, you can get home. That you can have the confidence to lead courageously in this world. See, Jesus at the end of his life showed us what true leadership looks like. It's a courageous leadership that's willing to serve and to sacrifice. It's willing to do whatever it takes for the good of others around us. It's willingness to do whatever, whatever it takes for the good of those around us. And he demonstrated it in such a way that he laid down his life so that we might have life. And not just any life, but abundant life. And I just happen to think that part of that abundant life is in those moments when we're called to lead and we don't know where to go, that we can take confidence. We can take a courageous step forward because we know that Jesus is with us. And as long as Jesus is with us, we know we can get home. Will you pray with me? Father, we step Lord, into your presence this morning. Lord, giving you great thanks for the celebration of life in Rachel this morning in her baptism. And Lord, we give you thanks for the words 
that are given to us through your scripture. God, we know all too well, just like your disciples, the serpent's model of leadership. One that's all about the title and the prestige and the glory, the one that's all about me. Lord, if we were honest, we've lived that life. Lord, we know the consequences of it. The failure to bring flourishing into our lives, into the lives around us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you just don't gloss over these things in your scripture. But Lord, you give it to us, even with those who are closest, to say to us, I know what it is. I know what you struggle with, and I'm there with you. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you sent your son, Lord, to show us what it looks like to lead in this world, one of sacrifice and service, one where we fight for the the greatest good of those around us. And Lord, that he didn't just talk about it, but that he actually demonstrated in his life by going to the cross so that we might have life. God, you are so good. You are so good. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for the men in this room. Lord, that in moments where we are fearful, Lord, that we would step up courageously. Lord, your word tells us to be courageous, and we don't need courage if we do not fear. And Lord, the reality is that we have a lot of fears. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your courage and that we would lead, Lord, in our families, with our kids and with our spouse, that we would lead with our friends, that we would lead in the church and in the places that we do work. God, that we would be courageous leaders. And through us, Lord, and through us, Lord, that good would come. Lord, we thank you. And we pray in your name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. If Jesus is doing something in your heart, if he's moving in a way, we'd love to have that conversation if you've never trusted him. You can simply text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. And we'd love to connect with you what a relationship looks like with him. Every week we come to the table of communion. And as we partake today, we're reminded of why Jesus went to the cross. We've seen it right there. In a lesson on leadership, he tells us that the reason that he goes to the cross is for the ransom of many. That many is us. That his body was broken, his blood was poured so that we might have life. And life abundantly. And so today we remember by taking the bread and not only remember but celebrating what Jesus did on the cross, accomplishing for us, and so we eat. In the same way, we take the cup on that last night, that last supper with his disciples when Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is your forgiveness of sins. And so we drink knowing that we are forgiven today. Here at Crossroads, as we end our service today, we're gonna respond in singing and in prayer. If you need prayer and you're online, you can click the button. If you're in house, anytime over these next 20 minutes, just make it under the prayer banner and we'll pray for you. We'd love to do that. Otherwise, I'm gonna ask all of you to stand as we sing and worship to our good God and Savior.